line in that song uh, just is perfect for this morning. As we just sang about giving our whole life to honor this love, uh, that's going to be our focus this morning. As uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter five, beginning in verse one, and our and uh, title for the message this morning is preparations to be prepared uh, to give our whole life to honor the love of Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? What sort of preparations do we need to make in order to do that? Um, you know, some of y'all know this, and some of y'all, this uh, may be new news, but I received a new title this fall. You know, I'm known as pastor here at the church. I'm known as husband and father at home, and uh, this fall I got the new title as coach. And uh, Charlie and I and John, uh, we've been helping out doing the sixth grade football team, and it's been a lot of fun, so we get to go out twice a week uh, since September to go coach sixth graders. Um, I'm happy to report we scored our first touchdown last weekend. So that's the third game, you know, third time's a charm. And so we finally got on the board. Um, and you may not uh, think that means much. I won't tell you what the other scores were, but um, it was a huge morale boost. I mean, the kids, even though we lost by a significant amount, um, felt like we won when we finally scored in the last uh, two minutes of that of that game last Saturday and so we're gonna use that as a momentum builder uh, for this next week and uh, it's been fun uh, we've we we came in with the perspective that yeah we want to win games I mean everybody you don't go to a game because you want to lose you want to win them but uh, our, our emphasis was we wanted the kids to have fun and we wanted them to learn football uh, so they could when they get into middle school but more importantly into high school uh, they know the game and they're playing it well and, and they can have success at that time of, of life in their high school career. But um, I think the kids are doing that. They're having fun. They're, they're learning the game. We've seen improvement. So uh, for every uh, week since uh, we started games, so twice a week we get together for practice and um, every, every week I sit down and I prepare. I prepare for what we should go out at to do at practice. I, I have a script that we're going to run through. I even mark out the times of when we should transition to something else. And uh, the kids probably don't know that. And uh, I don't know if Charlie's fully aware of that, but I usually run through the script with Charlie before we start. And um, just to prepare for, for a good practice, to get as much in in the time that we have uh, together. And I usually go off of things that happened from the game before, what we need to improve on, what sort of plays do we want to try to put into the offense, you know, what do the kids really need to work on. And a lot of it's fundamentals, do a lot of tackling drills and a lot of blocking drills. And, um, but I have to prepare. Um, I have to be ready. I can't just wing it when we get there. And I think we understand the idea of preparing. We all prepare for our jobs. Um, perhaps you give presentations at your job, and so you have to prepare for that. And perhaps you have a certain attire you have to wear, so you have to prepare for that. We prepare, uh, maybe when you came to church, I hope you prepared in some way. Uh, I mean, you at least got out of bed and got dressed, so that was a part of a preparation we all appreciate. We prepare when we go on vacation. You know, we prepare so we're ready for the things that are going to come in life. And in the Christian life, there are preparations that we also need to be making to do what we are called to do. And this morning's passage focuses on the first calling of the disciples. And so we are Christians, which means we are disciples of Jesus. We are followers of His teachings. We are imitators of Him. And when Jesus calls the first disciples, 
He calls them into a relationship with Him and to something greater than what they are doing currently in their life. And that is us as well. He's calling them to discipleship and evangelism. And as believers, these are things we have to prepare ourselves for, to prepare for discipleship, to prepare for evangelism. Discipleship is the act of following Jesus, of learning from Him and knowing Him more, of growing in our relationship with God. That's discipleship. So we're going to have discipleship right now in this moment. Evangelism is taking what we have learned in our discipleship and sharing it with the world. Sharing what we've come to know about Jesus Christ, what we've come to know about God's love for us, what we've come to know through God's Word. A healthy Christian is one who is a disciple and one who is active in evangelism. And so there are five preparations from our passage this morning to help us prepare for evangelism and prepare in our discipleship life. Probably more familiar with Matthew and Mark's recording of this event. In Matthew and Mark, in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1 is the parallel account of this event. Matthew and Mark almost agree completely on the wording and the phrasing and everything that happened with just a few differences which we'll bring out this morning. Luke's recording of this event is a little bit different. So you're probably, we're probably familiar with the phrase from Matthew and Mark, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, Luke doesn't use that phrase. He uses a different one when it means the same thing. We'll see it here in a second. But to kind of gather where we are in Luke chapter 5, we'll be in verse 1 through 11 if I haven't said that already. We last saw Jesus when he encountered Peter, Andrew, and John as John the Baptist pointed out that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Last week we also saw the calling of Philip and the, and the introduction of Nathaniel. And that particular calling of Philip and Nathaniel may have happened before this event or it may have happened after. See, the Gospels are not concerned with the chronological order of events. They're not concerned with the historical dating of the events. What the Gospels are concerned about is getting the story of Jesus out there so people can understand why they need Jesus Christ and how they can be saved. And so last week, we saw Jesus was introduced to three fishermen, which we're going to see this week, in Peter, Andrew, and John. And Luke tells us, after they were introduced to one another, Jesus begins a solo tour in his ministry, and Luke chapter 4 records those things. It points out that Jesus had met Peter once again, even after being introduced from John the Baptist, as he went to Peter's house before he called Peter to be his disciple. And the reason I bring that up, because it helps us understand in verse 1 when it mentions the crowds. Between the interaction with Peter, John, and Andrew, John the Baptist was arrested. Jesus taught in the synagogues, taking from the prophecy Isaiah, saying that this passage of Scripture had been fulfilled through him. Jesus went to Peter's mother-in-law's house and healed her, which is an interesting side note concerning Peter. We know he was married or was a widower, and Jesus was ultimately rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. But through all of this, Jesus' ministry was beginning to gain momentum and noticed by the Jewish people. So let's read our passage and we'll walk through it. Beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, 
he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Our passage begins by telling us Jesus was by the lake of Gennesaret. The other name for this lake is the Sea of Galilee, which Matthew and Mark use. John's Gospel calls it the Sea of Tiberias. And other times in history, this is called the Lake of Kinneret or the Lake of Kinnereth. The naming of the lake depended, depended upon the audience to which was being spoken to. And so the Gospels changed the name because of their particular audience. And we do this as well. You think of like McDonald's. Some of us call it McDonald's, some of us call it Mickey D's, some call it the Golden Arches, some of us call it gross. But we, we all understand when we're referring to one of those things concerning McDonald's. What we can know for sure, though, is that this event happened in Capernaum, which was on the north side of the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. This particular passage is not concerned with the events going on in 2020. As you can notice, there's not social distancing going on at this moment. The crowd was pressing on Jesus because they wanted to hear the Word of God from Jesus. And Jesus takes this opportunity to reintroduce himself to Peter and to call Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples. We have to keep in mind, all of Jesus' actions are intentional. All of God's actions in our life are intentional. Even in this year of uncertainty, God has an intentional act He is trying to do and produce that His will would be done. But Peter, or Jesus, is walking and the crowds are pressing in and He comes to two boats. So He has a choice, boat A or boat B. And which boat does Jesus pick? Peter's. He intentionally picked Peter's boat because he is reintroducing himself to Peter. It was Peter's boat. It was Peter who is going to respond to Jesus' instructions. It is Peter who gave the confession. And it was Peter who Jesus addresses after the catch. The reason this is in the Gospel of Luke is because Luke is focusing on Peter as rising to the leader of the early church, which will come out in the book of Acts. The, book of, or the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are written by the same individual to the same audience. And so throughout Luke's Gospel, Peter gets more of an emphasis. He has good moments and he has bad moments. That way, when we come to the book of Acts, which is recording the history and development of Christianity, we see why Peter is now the leader of the church. And so in the first calling, Jesus' attention is on Peter. We aren't, even mentioned, we aren't even given Peter's brother's name, Andrew, who Matthew and Mark both tell us that Andrew was there as well. He was a fisherman as well. It's not even focused on John, the beloved disciple, or James, his brother, which were the sons of thunder. It's focused on Peter. Because Jesus is being intentional. 
And as Jesus begins to get into the boat to continue teaching, we learn one of our preparations we must have in sharing the gospel with people. Jesus gets into the boat, and then He sits down. He makes the boat boat His pulpit. And so to be prepared, we have to use any avenue, any means which God gives us in this life as a means to share the gospel, as a means to grow in our relationship with God. And if you look through the Gospels and you look into the book of Acts, you're going to find Jesus and His disciples using physical objects to deliver the gospel message. In the gospel themselves, Jesus uses a fig tree, he uses fish, he uses a storm, he uses the washing of feet, tables being tossed, drawing in the dirt, pearls. Jesus uses taxes to share the gospel. He uses storms and flowers and wind, all to teach people about the good news of God. Peter would do the same thing if you look into the book of Acts. He uses confusion when the Holy Spirit comes to point to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He uses his own persecution. He uses bacon to share the gospel for the first Gentile convert. Not bacon necessarily, but unclean food, pigs. He uses so people can understand that Jesus is the gospel and Jesus has made everything permissible. Philip used the art of eavesdropping when he shares the gospel with the Ethiopian. I don't recommend that avenue, but it's possible that's what you use as you hear people in a conversation. You interject with good news. Paul would use his imprisonment, persecution. He would use a false idol sculpture to point to God. He used a snake bite to share the gospel. The thing is, is that God has placed things in our life as avenues and means that we might present Jesus. We just have to be prepared and aware to use them. Paul's own mission statement from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, To the Jews I become a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I become as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul would instruct his disciple Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here's the thing. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you say that you are saved and you're heading to eternal salvation in heaven, then you have to be prepared to preach the word. There is no excuse. There is no reason not to do it. We share the gospel. As we grow in our relationship with God, we share that with people. And God has given us the means to do it all around us. Wherever we are, if we are remaining aware, there is always an avenue to deliver the Word of God, the good news. I've done it at gas stations. I've done it in the supermarket. I've done it when I've ordered food on the phone. The first step is you've got to be aware and you've got to look for the door of conversation to open up. And I think supermarkets or grocery stores are the best place to do it because you, unless you go through the, you know, the self-checkout line, they are literally stuck with you. They are being paid to listen and be nice to you. 
They can't leave. That's their job. And so did in that and did in a conversation. And in that conversation, make a beeline to the cross. Share the good news. They may not accept Jesus Christ at that moment in time, but you can begin planting the seeds. The point is to use whatever means God provides to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a student and you're involved in something at school, use that avenue to point to Jesus. At your workplace, use where God has placed you in ministry on that mission field to point to Jesus. It's not to, to be... Uh, crazy or to be aggressive it's simply to let people know you care about where they stand with God and you care where they're going to stand with God when this whole thing is over and you love them too much to be quiet but at the same time in being prepared to use any avenue be prepared to be aggravated evangelism is aggravating discipleship is aggravating because if we're growing in our relationship with God, then there's something that God has to do in our life. He has to point out our sinful problems. He has to begin chipping that away, which is very uncomfortable. And it gets aggravating because sometimes we want to say, God, I'm not doing as bad as so-and-so. It really isn't that big of a deal. But you notice as Jesus tells Simon to take the boat out into the deep and to cast their nets did you see Simon's response, his initial response? He was not really in favor of Jesus' instructions. He says, Master, that was just kind of a nice formality. We toiled all night and took nothing. Simon was tired. He had been fishing all night. He had a fishing trip that resulted in no fish, which for Simon meant no source of income. He was no doubt wanting to just go home just go to bed. Just call it a day. He is having a very bad day. Nothing went the way he was wanting it to go. I have no doubt Simon went on this fishing trip to fish throughout the night thinking they were going to bring in a big haul and nothing went the way he had planned. Nothing felt like it was getting accomplished. And as he's been cleaning the nets and mending the nets, it reminds us that we all have these type of days. We all have days where things just don't go the way we planned. We all have days where we just want to go home. We want to put on our 2020 pandemic gear. We want to crawl on the couch or into bed and get a blankie, and we want to tap out. Everyone has those days. We all have bad days. When Peter is told by Jesus to go back out and start fishing again, which does not make any sense. Day fishing was rarely done on the sea. Peter looks at Jesus, and though he calls him master, his response is this. Are you serious? Jesus, from Peter's perspective at this moment, was not an individual whose job was to fish. And Peter is the vocational fisherman. And yet, here's a man, because Peter doesn't have the full understanding of Jesus yet. He understands he has authority. He understands he's a good teacher. He understands that he has the ability to heal, but he does not understand this is God in the flesh yet. And so he sees this man who has not been trained in fishing telling him how to do his job. And don't we love those type of people in our life? The people that come into our life to tell us how to do our job when they have not been trained and they have not been doing it every day like we have. Are you serious? 
But here's the thing. Peter's having a bad day, so he responds by the way we would. What if Satan uses our bad days to distract us from what God is wanting to do to us and through us? See, our growing our relationship with God and our evangelism is not dependent upon our mood. It's not dependent upon whether we're having a good day or a bad day or whether things are going the way we want them to go. Our evangelism and discipleship is dependent upon our willingness no matter our circumstances. And what if you have a bad day? What if the tire goes out in the car? What if the car doesn't even start? What if your day is already thrown off? And Satan is just trying to distract you because there's something that day God wants to use you for. But because this bad day is just clinging to you, you can't get past it. And you can't share the good news. Because that's become more important. That's become your priority. Peter is aggravated. And evangelism can be aggravating. If you've ever shared the gospel, then you've probably come across people who are just outright rude when you share the gospel. They tell you to shut up. They tell you to leave. They tell you if you don't get my property, I'll shoot you. Right, Joe? I didn't tell you that to Joe, and he didn't say that to me. <laughs> and sometimes it's aggravating because you're sharing the gospel with people you love, and you feel like the conversation is finally getting to the place where they understand, and salvation happens, and then the conversation for some reason just fades. And that's aggravating. It's aggravating when you share about the good news of Jesus Christ and the love of God to people, and they want nothing to do with it. The people we love, the people we pray for, the people we are surrounded by, and they don't want to hear that news. That's aggravating. So what do we do when aggravations come? We do what Peter does. We obey the word of our master, and we keep fishing. We keep casting the net. We keep throwing out seeds. We don't give up. We just throw out the seeds of the gospel, and we allow the Holy Spirit to take what we were allowed to present and use it for God's glory. If you don't think God's people get aggravated, then you really need to go back and read through the Psalms and Proverbs again. There's a lot of aggravation in there. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of questioning of God and what He is doing. And we should get aggravated when we share the gospel and people don't accept it. Because here's what that means. It means we understand what is at stake. <clears throat> and it means we actually love the people we're sharing the gospel to. Even if we don't know them, we love them enough that we know they need Jesus because where they'll go without him. We have to keep in mind when we share the gospel and people say no or tell you to shut up or to go away, they are not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting the one that we present to this world, the, the one that we are an ambassador for. Well, after Peter is exasperated, Jesus, are you serious? I, I hope you've had those moments with God. God, are you serious? Those are fun moments. They're really testings of the faith. Well, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to take the boat out. At your word, I'll do it. And what was once the worst fishing day in Peter's life became the greatest fishing day in Peter's life. Peter's obedience, despite being reluctant, opened the door not only for him and his brother, but for John and James to be a part of what God was doing. And so we may be aggravated at times, but it's not a reason to give up. So we must be prepared to press on, prepared to be amazed. 
There is no greater thrill that you can have in your life than being used by God to bring someone into a relationship with Him. There's no greater experience you can have than sharing the message of Jesus Christ and the love of God for someone and the light goes on and they get it. I promise you, if you've never shared the gospel with someone, just do it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And when that person finally comes to Christ, you just get this sense of fulfillment. I am fulfilling the purpose to which God has me here for on this planet. The very first message I preach, I was on a mission trip in Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi, Texas. And, and I was asked, when we got on site there on, on the Monday, I was asked or told basically that you're going to preach a message before we head back home. And so I think they gave me Wednesday. It was either Wednesday or Thursday. It was near the end. Well, I didn't know I was doing this. So I, I spent all my free time, which wasn't much, to be preparing this message. God, what do you want me to preach? What do you want me to present? And, and at that moment in time, I was not feeling God calling me to preach. I was just on a mission trip because that was something I felt like I should do and God was leading me to do. But I ended up preaching out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't know that chapter, it's commonly known as the love chapter, right? Um, and so I preached out of that, and I preached about how God's love is for us, and our uh, misconception of love, and misperception of love, and, and how we, we say we love like things like ice cream, and our bikes, and cake, and all this stuff, but that's not God's love. And, and, I, and I spoke about how God revealed that love through Jesus Christ, and it wasn't, I, I don't remember every detail of the message, and I doubt it was spectacular by any means. I mean, it was my first one. I know I was nervous, and I probably had white knuckles on the pulpit. But the church was filled with parents and kids that we've been ministering all week. And as I got to the time of, of, uh, of invitation, and I, and I prayed over people, and I invited them to respond to accept Jesus Christ, the altar was flooded. And I saw 13 people in one meeting come to Christ. And as I looked out, I knew it had nothing to do with me. I had not the power, nor the ability, nor the wisdom, nor the knowledge to handle this situation or present the love of God, but simply because I was willing to be an instrument God was going to use, I got to have this awe of God that by His mercy and grace, God wants to use a sinner like me. And it's the same for all of us here. By God's mercy and grace, He wants to use sinners like us to bring Him glory. And so we may get aggravated, we may get discouraged, but God is always at work preparing for that moment where He's going to use us to represent Him and to share about how much He loves the people in our life. I'm amazed still today that God uses me as a preacher and God wants to use us all as His witnesses. It is a blessing and it is by the grace of God. Peter was aggravated, but he was willing. And because he was willing, because he was obedient to what Jesus told him, he became amazed. It says in verse 8, Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now first off, this may seem kind of uh, impossible, but we've, not we've, there have been individuals who have discovered these boats that were used on the Sea of Galilee. These boats were 26 and a half feet long, and seven and a half feet wide, meaning Peter had plenty of room to dip down on his knees for Jesus. It also lets us know, as they brought the fish in and the boat started to sink, what type of catch they had that day. Yet it seems like a strange thing to say to Jesus. First you tell Jesus, or ask Jesus if he's serious, 
And then when Jesus shows up and shows His power and authority, you ask Jesus to leave. Please go away. Please depart from me. Why does Peter speak in this way? Because Peter has now had his eyes open to understand a part of Jesus. He now understands how he is the Lamb of God. He now understands how he can heal people. He now understands that he has the authority of the Creator upon him. Jesus, or Peter's response to Jesus in this catch mirrors Isaiah's response to God when he was brought into the throne room. And he bowed down, face down, saying, I'm unworthy to be here. He understood he did not belong in this place. And this is what Peter's saying in this moment as he sees this catch and understands who Jesus is. And we got to understand, Peter didn't get it right all the time. The disciples didn't always understand what Jesus did or why Jesus said what he said. But in this moment, they had a moment of aha, of clarity. And he fell down because he realized he did not belong in the presence of the Holy of Holies. I do not belong here. I shouldn't be allowed to be here. And so in our discipleship and our evangelism, we must be prepared to be aware. We serve a very big God. And right now we are in the presence of the God who created all things. I think we forget that at times. I think we forget when we gather on Sunday morning, we're not just gathering because it's time. We're gathering in the presence of the Holy of Holies, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We're gathering in the presence of the one who the heavenly beings are worshiping in this very moment. We're gathering in the presence of the one who brings nations and empires to their knees. We're gathering in the presence of the one to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that's whose presence we are in. We should be aware and amazed we're allowed to be here. We have no right to be in the presence of God. We have no right to say that we belong in the Holy of Holies. It is simply by His grace and His mercy towards us, we're allowed even to enter into a church building. I think there are some people who don't come to church have a better view of God than some Christians. I've come across many people who won't come to church because they feel if they cross the threshold into the worship hall, God would strike them dead right then and there. That's an accurate image of God and His holiness. But what they fail to see about is God and His love and His grace and His mercy towards us. How many times do we just show up thinking, I'm here, I've, I've punched in, I've done what I should do, and now I actually think about whose presence I'm in and who I am worshiping. Peter was fully aware whose presence he was in in this moment. When it comes to sharing about the greatness of God, we need to be aware of this as his children. From 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. See, when God sends us out here in a few moments, we don't go out preaching our word. We go out preaching His word. We have no power in ourselves to lead someone to Christ. We have not the wisdom to say the right words so someone can understand the love of God. But because God has given us His Spirit, He has given us His divine power for all things of life and godliness. I do not have the power to lead someone to Christ. We do not. 
we are completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit to do so. And in our awareness of that and reliance of that, we surrender to be God's instrument. After these fishermen caught this massive catch, they became astonished at the catch of fish, verse 10. And then Jesus delivers the invitation for these men to become his disciples. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Now, if you're like me, I like Matthew and Mark's recording of his saying, you know, I'm going to make you become fishers of men. Um, but it, that just rolls off tongue easier. I think it's easier to memorize. The meaning is the same. That Jesus is calling them to something greater than where they were. He's calling them into a life of discipleship that leads to a life of evangelism. And with the aid of John's gospel, we know that three of these four men, again, Andrew's not mentioned here, he is in Matthew and Mark, but three of the four men are already encountered Jesus and Peter, Andrew and John. Andrew, again, isn't mentioned, but the emphasis in Luke is Peter. James did not have an initial encounter with Jesus, but James was the brother of John. And I imagine since John and Andrew were the first ones to encounter Jesus and spent the day or evening with Jesus, when John went back to his fishing job for his daddy, he probably talked about the encounter. Hey, you got to hear about this guy I met. And so James probably heard from John. So when Jesus gives the invitation to John and James, they were on board. But we have two fishing families in our passage who just had the catch of their life, and instead of being overjoyed or overwhelmed with the catch, they answered the call, verse 11, left everything and followed him. The Gospel of Mark points out that John and James left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. It brings up this point that James and John were not leaving something that was a bad job. Their father was a fisherman. He had hired servants to help with the fishing. It was a pretty successful business. They just had the catch of the day, but they realized in this moment that they'd rather be attached to Jesus than anything this world can amaze them with. They'd rather be at his side. And so in following Christ and being discipled by Christ, we must be prepared to disassociate. These men were letting go of everything they own, new and familiar with, to follow Jesus. They were going to leave their job, their families. They were going to disassociate from their past life to attach themselves to Jesus. Again, the Gospels reveal they didn't fully understand the calling Jesus was giving them in this moment. They didn't fully understand who Jesus was in this moment. They wouldn't fully understand who Jesus was until after the resurrection. They would spend three years with this guy, following him, being obedient to him, not fully being aware of who he truly was. They didn't understand why he said what he said and why he did what he did, but they understood this. There was no better place for them to be than at Jesus' side. There was nowhere else to be. They had to be here. And sometimes we have to disassociate ourselves from our routines and distractions of this world so we can remain or abide with Jesus. Book of James says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I found in my own life when I have fasted, and that's kind of what I mean by disassociate. When I fasted from food or TV or social media, 
It's in those moments I experience God in incredible ways. I'm really to break free of the routine of life and just to focus my heart on God. I get to experience what Peter, Andrew, James, and John did on the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. There are times we have to disassociate from regular routines and distractions so we can make God a priority and abide in Him. There's no better place for us to be as God's children than at the side of Jesus. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Whatever gain I had counted, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. To count everything as meaningless compared to knowing Christ and being with Christ, that is the battle we face every day. And that's why we have to be prepared every day as we head into that battle. One commentator wrote that the call to discipleship clearly meant separation from the kind of life they had been living. But it did not mean that they had to sell everything and break every earthly tie. These men simply came to the realization that what Jesus was calling to them was greater than anything this earth could provide, even greater than their greatest fishing day. Are you prepared to be used by God? There's another preparation that has happened even before we gathered here this morning. It can be found in the words of Peter as he understood Jesus. Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's another disassociation or separation that must take place for all people. And God has prepared you in this moment to be ready for that. Why God loves you and how God's good news is gospel. We all have to break ties with our sin. And this is only found by accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. You see, God created you for a relationship with Him. And just like Peter was pursued by Jesus, God is pursuing after you because He loves you. But we all have a sin issue, and it's our sin issue which is separating us from God. But God in His mercy and His grace is calling us back to Him. And we can't remove our sin problem. You can't go to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't sing enough or give enough money. You can't do it. It is only through Jesus Christ, which is why Jesus came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again that we might be forgiven. And the Bible says, when I believe that in my heart, I may be like Peter. I still got questions and I fully don't understand, but I believe in my heart that to be truth. And I confess it with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I will be saved. The word saved means forgiven for my sins, past, present, and future, and be given eternal life in heaven. And you may be here and think, well, I just came because it's church and something I do. Not realizing that God has been preparing your heart for this very moment to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, we're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Michael, I want to be saved. And I want to talk with you and pray with you and celebrate with you. But maybe you're here and you know your preparations for what God has called you to do have been off. And you just need to repent of that. Confess that to God. God, I've, I've been off. I've not been a good disciple and I've not been sharing your word the way I should have. Just tell God that. He already knows. You're not going to like take him off guard. But this is our time of invitation, which is a time of response. It's a time we are obedient to the Word of God where Jesus said that we are not just hearers of His Word, but doers. 
So we're going to sing a song. I want to pray over us real quick, and I invite you to come. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us into a relationship with you. Thank you for wanting to use us for your glory, even though we're unworthy of it. Lord, thank you for the people that you've placed in everyone's life in this room that need to hear the gospel, and they can only hear the gospel through the people in this room. They are the instrument that you have placed in that mission field. Father, forgive us for we have been too consumed with our own things and our own days and, and what's going on in our life that we are not aware of what you're wanting to do through us. But I pray this week that your spirit brings a conviction upon us that we are prepared to be your ambassadors. So thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And I pray for the individuals here this morning who do not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, you would open their eyes as you open Peter's eyes to the understanding of who you are and why they need Jesus as their Savior. Let your kingdom come and will be done in this time. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.